you know, when I was talking about when you're in meetings, when I'll, I'll be the only female in a room and, and um, when I do get that opportunity to speak, I'll try to rush it. You know, I would love someone to say, and tell me more. Kia I'm Troy, here as CEO and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today we're talking with ACE New Zealand Chief Executive Helen Davidson, who is one of the drivers behind the diversity agenda, as well as Kynwin McNeil, who is BBT Engineering's Chief Executive Diversity Agenda Steering Committee Chair, and of course, no stranger to stirring the pot. So I'm really excited to have you two on. You are both Wahini Toa, strong women, and I'm really hoping that we can have some conversations that aren't usually had. Um, I think often what happens is honesty is mistaken as being too strident, and I'm really keen for us to break down that perception around let's speak the truth and um you know we, we can deal with the truth right so i'm just wondering um from your perspectives what are the big issues for women working in the workplace right now and i think that everything has changed in the past 10 years or we often think that it has um, but do you think there are still significant issues that we're not addressing or we're not even talking about them maybe studying with you kind one yeah um, thanks, Troy. I, you know, there's been so much going on for the past two years, and I think as business leaders, but then also in my case, also as kind of the the leader of my family as well, I almost feel like I've had two years as a wartime general. And, you know, kind of that I'm on, I'm on the hill, I'm super alert, I'm like, what's coming for me next? What's happening? That hypervigilance. And almost like, is there, like, is my, am I coming off this tour of duty anytime soon? And in my conversations around, um, you know, industry and in the forums I get to participate in, but also in my personal life, there's that real sense. And um, I think very much, for women, um, they're also kind of recasting the narrative in a very different society to what we were two years ago. Um, the flexibility that we've craved in roles that have, perhaps we were told pre-pandemic couldn't be flexible and couldn't be worked remotely and all the rest of it, that's all banished. Um, we've got men who have now experienced what it's like to be working from home and have little people interrupt and so on. But I also think that um, there's a different level of um, give and take that is starting to occur around what happens in a workplace, what happens outside, and how do we continue to evolve professionally and how do we continue to um, confront some of the challenges that our previous methods or our, our traditional responses, we now need to adapt and come up with a different way um, to respond. And I think from my perspective, um, just recognising I don't have those answers at the moment and maybe don't. And... Um, that sense of having so many tabs open in your brain, 
I think is definitely an issue that has that is resonating with many, many women in the workforce at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I can relate to that. Helen, how about you? Yeah. Oh my goodness. What do I add to that? That was so beautifully put, kind one, in terms of the, the, the challenges, the open tabs and the, the sergeant major. It's interesting. So I, um, you know, I come from a background where I worked in a predominantly female um, environment as an in-house lawyer, um, moving into leadership in the um, engineering and infrastructure and construction sector. And it's been, to, you know, what we what we know is a, a predominantly male environment. And it's it's been a really transition, uh, interesting transition for me. And I think made me really attuned to those things. So we um, kind of when you talk about you feel like you've been in this two years of sergeant major I feel like I'm starting in that you know I'm starting to be the person that that sends the email that challenges um, the thoughts or the the lack of um, diverse voice and in, in particular particular pieces so I'm in the I'm in the beginning of that that duty but you know coming to your question Troy what are the big issues there are still so many I don't think they've they've changed uh, we're just on a different journey in each of them and um, and yeah, we need to keep these conversations going. Do you guys reckon that um, since the Me Too movement, there's been changes, especially maybe Helen, even coming from the um, legal background, you know, there were some big um, responses, I guess, in that industry from that movement. Mm. What, what do you think the changes have been and have they have they led to improvements? Um, I, I think that they they have. I think there's um, a much greater awareness of those really explicit behaviours that are unacceptable. Uh, and I think that there's a greater awareness of, of what they are. And perhaps people have a greater courage to speak out about those things. But I also wonder if it's created a um, an acceptability in those other smaller um, behaviours that um, can be really impactful in terms of how women feel included uh, in the workplaces as well. Um, so as we focus on the really explicit, we lose sight of of those subtle behaviours that build up um, and, and affect, uh, the, uh, affect our ability to be ourselves and bring our full selves to our workplaces. Yeah, I actually think it's those subtle things that are actually more impactful on a day-to-day -day basis because they really get you down, I think, um, because they're not things that are recognised as being impactful and you kind of wonder whether you you almost start gaslighting yourself I guess is how I would put it um and kind when I know that you're a fan a fan also of Glennon Doyle's podcast we can do hard things and I was just recently listening to the one with um Ocean Gong um and he he made this statement that you know he's a professor and a, and a prize-winning author and poet and he'd gone to try to get access into um, Melville's museum because he was writing a book about Melville. Um, and basically, you know, he, the person there looked at him and didn't think that, you know, he should be appropriately um, entering. And he made the comment that, you know, he almost needs someone there to announce his coming and give his bio um, because he doesn't get that automatic credibility. And I feel like that for myself, like people who don't know me, I, you know, and don't know my bio, the automatic position is I think I'm treated pretty much as, you know, someone 
who should be serving tea and coffee. Um, how do you feel about that, Clement? What are your experiences on the day-to-day small things yeah. that really have a big impact? Yeah, and, um, I mean, and it's all those little things, right? Um, and, I mean, and I've, I've told the story a few times, but um, I remember briefing in a piece of work to um, one of the big four consulting firms, you know, so, like, global big four in Australia. And I commissioned this particular piece of work, probably, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of work, and um, the partner came in to present uh, the initial kind of um, findings to us and um, I was I was going to be about 15 minutes late to the meeting because I was coming from an interview. And, um, and when I entered the meeting and I was wearing a red dress and, yes, I had on fabulous heels and, yes, I had red lipstick on and all the rest of it, and the guy kind of like he got the bit of work and I know this isn't a visual medium but he kind of clutched the work to his chest and he looked at me and he's like, this is a confidential meeting? And I was like, yes, it's about X, Y and Z. And he's like, yes. And I said, I commissioned the work because he assumed that I was the assistant of my male colleague coming down to say, you know, excuse me or X, Y and Z. And that response is not unusual. But what did shock me was that we had a really senior person who hadn't bothered to do their research beforehand around who they were meeting with. They hadn't bothered to even kind of, you know, respectfully kind of Google, you know, kind of my name or Google. And that I know that sounds hugely arrogant as well, but it's like, well, first thing I would do if I was going to a meeting with someone is do my research on who that person is and, you know, kind of what what is their background and, you know, kind of that level of, of respectful engagement. And I happily go out and live in Troy, Troy no. you know, you do know I'm very kind of direct as well, but it's like I think women are a thousand times better at that. Who am I meeting with? Who's being generous with their time coming to that discussion really respectfully? Um, the point you made, um, and, you know, and, and Brene Brown is also a huge, I'm a huge fan, and one of the things that she talked about when she released her most recent kind of research, um, uh, Atlas of the Heart, which talks about kind of the different emotions and how do we express kind of different things. She said, you know, um, I get described by a certain kind of cohort of the academic world as a self-help expert. And she said, that's absolute bullshit. She said, you know, I, I have decades of research experience I am a sociologist I am a professor I'm a tenured professor I you know have deep rooted grounding and she said and yet that will be dismissed in a heartbeat because I am also successful commercially yet my counterparts a man in the same position it would be immediately acknowledged this the, the title is inserted the professor of X and all the rest of it, but somehow that is immediately diminished. She said, and before I used to just kind of accept that, and now I'm very clear about no, that that that's not it, and that's you know the bio is written in a certain way and whatnot. So, kind of claiming some of those artifacts back, I think, is critical for women. And how about you, Helen? What are your experiences? Do you have any first-hand 
examples you're able to share of where this has been an issue. And, and I'm really also keen to um, have a discussion around how it impacts you because I, I, I wonder whether people realise the impacts that it actually does have on people's, you know, confidence and ability to proactively engage. Mm. You know, I think for, for me, you know, I find that I have a lot of respect. Uh, I receive a lot of respect and I have a lot of respect for um you know, male male leaders um, within within the sectors that we work. Where I see particular challenges is when we get together in a room in a group, um, and those biases creep in in the way that people aren't even aware. You know, I'll be in meetings with um, you know senior leaders across across the sector, uh, where I know individually I'll have a really good conversation with them and be able to talk with them really openly and honestly about diversity and inclusion in aspects of it but when we're in that room and we're talking about someone who works in our sector it's the male pronoun that's always used um it, it feels that you know females are less invited into the conversation or not ju not just females other minorities um so I feel like we work harder to have our voice to have our voice heard and um and when we do get the opportunity or when I get the opportunity I often rush through it because you know, it's sort of all the limelight. All the limelight is on, um, and I think it's about you know what causes me quite a bit of frustration is um, hearing so much conversation about the importance of of DNI, but not looking at for the, those opportunities in a really strategic way across um, using all the levers that we have. So whether it's um, you know using those opportunities to bring. Um, women or other diverse members of our profession into those leadership gr groups instead of just saying oh well the CE isn't a woman so so you know how, how do we empower and and bring people into that room whether it's you know publishing articles or or webinars that don't have a more diverse voice you know there was a um a group that I was working with um recently actually only about 10 days ago um where an article was circulated um to a, to a group of us who had been involved in it, and every contributor quoted in the article was was male. And you know, I wrote back and and, and challenged that, um, but I shouldn't have to. You know, it should be from from a group who's really thinking and talking about these issues from a strategic perspective. It should just be something that they do. There's that checklist, and you check if you're not already thinking about it. And it's the same group I've already had conversations with about about webinars. So sometimes I feel like the sergeant major or, or the broken record. And I think it's in those situations where you know it, you can feel um, that lack of confidence that come through or exhaustion about being the one that always has to always has to raise this, but also great responsibility to do so because, you know, you're in the situation where you where you can. Um, interestingly, I think one of the one of the challenges that I have is, you know, in those situations, I feel like, well, I need to adopt a different personality, um, one that will, you know, that that can create, you know, people might talk about that as um, executive presence, whatever that is, but this 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 presence or, or put on a different hat when I'm in the room and um, and I find that that hard, I you know, because I, I'll I'll go into meetings and make small talk and be myself and say silly things, and then I wonder, oh, am I not am I not creating the credibility that I need to have here just by being myself? So it means I don't always bring my authentic self into the conversation, and that means I don't always bring 
the unique perspectives that I that I could. And I think that you know where other women or um, other people within our sector who represent diverse and minority groups feel that way, we're all missing out. Yeah, I think this is really one of the things I'm fascinated by is this stereotypical leader that has this executive presence and how anyone who doesn't conform to that stereotype is, you know, often dismissed as not having leadership potential mm. um, or isn't taken as seriously as they could be if they are in a leadership position. I also find I have not been able to crack the right amount of assertiveness um, versus, I guess, politeness around calling those behaviours out. How, how have you guys been? What do you think works and what doesn't work? Yeah, I am um, I quite cheerfully convinced to being a diversity troll. Um, I will regularly kind of turn around and say, where are the rest of the women in the room? Um, I think, and also kind of appreciating that it's the visuals also matter as well. So there, there's a, an, a very senior, very senior kind of um, uh, consultancy I don't know, chief executive, whatever, senior person. And um, and all of their imagery on LinkedIn, for example, is always males. Like it's always, you know, like it's always this, it's always this, it's always this, it's always this. And finally I just kind of like said, enough variety. I said, where are all the women? I know that you've got amazing women in your team. Why aren't you showcasing them? Oh, but we don't have a female modeler associated with the roundabout this that, you know, and it was like they didn't have this actual kind of, you know, specific because people get very kind of like, well, I don't have that. I don't have a woman in that category. I'm like, yes, but you do have lots of other women who could be talking to the specialist. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be a truthful representation, though. And it's like having those conversations and I think, Helen, to your point around kind of that feeling that responsibility and you know kind of people kind of giving you a bit of a wary look as it's like oh my god the feminist is here oh here comes the feminist and it's like well I'm happy to step into that space I also know that it's sometimes um well I'm I know that it gives me that reputation of being you know there's all those terms it's the ball breaker or the venus flytrap or you know like oh she looks good um, you know, she keeps herself tidy and but watch out when she opens her mouth because it's like, oh, my God, you know, kind of guns blaring. It's like, well, do I have to feel like that or can I just show up? Would you say that to a man who showed up into the room, who has read all their papers, is well prepared, has an opinion on some, you know, has a differing opinion, is prepared to offer that in a respectful and intelligent way um, and still walk out of the room feeling I, I think that's one of my personal challenges is I'm, I over-prepare because I overcompensate because I'm worried that I won't be perceived as being as, as intelligent in the room, maybe because I don't have the level of technical depth or so on. But then kind of walking out of the room and thinking, oh, my God, did I go too hard on that? Maybe they won't want me to come back. Maybe, like, they won't have me in that discourse anymore because, like, I'm too much, like, hard work. And it's like, where does that... Where does that um, conditioning come from? 
I don't know. And that, that kind of vaguely icky feeling of like, I might have been a bit bullshit in that one, you know, but also I don't want to not be bullshit either because if I, and I take my kind of position um, and my ability to influence an authorising environment really seriously, you know, um, that includes sometimes firing off emails to, to where my daughters go to school and I'm like, why have you said this in the newsletter? Like, you know, do you understand that when you say that in a newsletter, it's actually diminishing the women? And why, you know, like, why have you only got the male photo of this? And, why have you, and, and, you know, my daughters will be like, please don't email the school anymore because you're coming across like this. It's like, you know, so I think that's part of my challenge. I don't know, Helen, like, too much of a troll. <laughs> <laughs> not at all kind one and I'm I'm laughing because I think my boys are just starting to see that side of, of me in uh, my feminism when um so I'll be doing the newsletters to the school as well I'm sure the emails to the school newsletters <laughs> yeah I think it's fascinating because I you know I don't consider myself a very bullshy person per se but if there's something that I'm advocating for and it's usually around diversity or sustainability then I think Somehow, um, when I'm sitting around the table, others who, you know, I'm talking about men, can say exactly the same things in exactly the same way and they won't be categorised in that way. And somehow it coming from a woman seems to have so much more impact and the perception is that it's bullshit. Um, what, do, what are your views there? Um, Helen, have you had any experience? I'm sure that must have been an issue, um, particularly in, in your legal law background yeah I think I think absolutely um Troy really relate to that I think it's always interesting when when you're in a meeting and you know maybe the only female voice in the room and you say something and then it's repeated by um one of your male counterparts and everyone pays you know it's it it sounds different or it's received differently by the people in the room when it's and you're sitting there saying didn't I just say that (laughs) so you know I I think I think it's it's so challenging, and and there's there's no there's no right answer around how to how to deal with that. I I don't think um you know there's no there's no one way to be to tackle that behaviour when you're in that room. Except I think act as credibly and professionally as as you can, true to your values. Um, you know, and I'm on a massive learning journey at the moment in terms of building that confidence to to say to point something out or to to send the email questioning something and I'm playing around with different approaches to to do that and you know so far generally um people are really responsive when I raise something but I feel that um it still gets raised on an ad hoc basis and so I'd like to think we can come together and be a little bit more strategic collectively one of the things I'm learning about at the moment is how to be more of a ally for Māori. Um, how do you how do you think um, how do you think we can have those conversations with men to be better allies for women? Because that that doesn't seem to be, you know, you, you go to all of these events about empowering women and women in leadership or women in a particular industry. There's not really men there, um, and so you. They're great because they're always inspiring and reinvigorating, but we're talking to the wrong audience. How do we actually get men to sit, you know, sit at the table and hold space for us or call out those um, issues so that we're not labelled as the feminist bullshit woman coming in with 
what, right, waving the feminist flag again. How do we actually get men to step up? Kleinman, do you have any views there? Yeah, and this is absolutely one of the things that I love about diversity, gender and diversity accord is that it has been, um, you know, it's been built around organisational change and organisational transformation. To do that, we've got to engage at the leadership level, which the reality is the majority of the people at that leadership level are men. Um in the room and you know kind of we and I'm using the royal we Helen is you know kind of we're really fortunate to sit in those forums that are really enlightened and there is genuine discussion and commitment to action what the challenge is and, you know, we've got, like, amazing young people coming through that just have, like, such a different perspective on diversity, inclusion, beyond um, beyond gender, beyond ethnicity. And then we kind of have this squidgy bit in the middle, you know, and that for me is where there is a huge challenge for us to um, to. It's not even activate because it's it, like it's not even, you know, there are really good parts and, and really, really bad parts. But and I'll just give you a, a personal example from my organisation and where we, uh, as I hope that everyone would know listening, um, that that we're hugely focused on DNI, where we are gender, um, our focus on gender, our, our pay parity, you know, all of those kind of systemic changes that need to be done. Um, I had a female engineer that worked for us, started as a graduate and so on, and um, when she uh, left, she was stolen by one of my clients, God damn it. Um, when she, she you know, exited, she said, oh, um, I said, you know, so there, what, what worked well, even better, if she said, oh, I never used to get the inspections out of town. And I said, what do you mean? You know, like because the inspections, you know, would be pretty much randomly allocated across the team and, and whatnot. And she said, yeah, she said it was this running joke that I, you know, if there was an out-of-town inspection that I wouldn't wouldn't get it. And I said, why wouldn't you have got it? Like I'm thinking, what the hell have I missed here? Like this is my organisation. We're a small organisation. And what had happened was there was a middle kind of layer, or a, um, yeah, middle middle management man, um, and he wasn't comfortable sending a woman out of town overnight. So if she got allocated that inspection, he would reallocate it. And I was like, this is such a blatant kind of example of of you know sexism in our in our workplace. Yet we've got phenomenal leadership. We've got amazing kind of grassroots and a huge kind of authorising environment, but here was kind of one individual kind of tinkering around because of a certain set of values that they had and because of his um, um, uh, positional authority within the team, they didn't feel able to kind of speak up for that. Now, we're a microcosm. We are a much smaller organisation Yet I can imagine that replicated out across much larger organisation than ours, and yet it's something an issue that didn't 
come to my attention until kind of at, at an exit interview stage. So what's the sniff test? You know, like how do we, you know, kind of there are some of those things where it's like, well, how do we make things um, not dependent on individuals or champions or catalysts you know like I think sometimes like oh we'll get a DNI unicorn and they will come in and they will spread the rainbow dust and there we are and, and all will be equal and will be happy but it, it can't be an individual it's got to be you know systems it's processes it's um you know structures and and enabling environments that have to be built with real insight and data but also a willingness as well. So I think it's I think it's really challenging. Mm, I think a um, a lot of it is coming down to processes, as you say. It needs to actually be instrumentized and embedded. And I think a lot of the times, actually, all that's all that could um, be done to improve it. It would be just to simply ask, what is it that that person wants? Because I think. That happened to me a lot when I um, had first had my son and returned to work and, and decisions were being made about, you know, where I would be deployed and what allocation of duties and, like, you know, out-of-town visits would I be able to cope with as a new mama, new new mother. Um, and those decisions were being made for me. No one had asked me, you know, did I want to actually do that or did I need that protection? Um, so, yeah, just asking people what is it that they actually want in their role seems to be a missing thing and it just is such a simple thing to do. Um, Helen, what, it, what have been your experiences? Oh, so um, in thinking about tackling systemic change particularly, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, really, uh, not too much to build on, on Kindwin. Um, that was a really excellent, you know, example and story to to show. I think the other aspect of what you're saying is that it's not a tick box exercise. So we can't just say, well, we've we've put this policy in place, we've closed the pay gap, and um, there we go, tick, we've done it, diversity and inclusion. Um, it's got to be that that ongoing space and check-in and journey and I think what your example illustrates Kaiman is just the really the, the importance of their ongoing openness for conversation um, and, and not being afraid to to check in and um, and question what's going on so I think you know I think there are so many parts of of um, this from a business perspective in terms of measuring and monitoring so we know what's happening but also creating safe spaces for for ongoing dialogue across all our teams from leadership to middle management to uh, the newer people within within the profession who bring different different experiences kind when you mentioned the um a diversity and gender in accord and I noticed in the, in the recent newsletter that came out today there was an article in there around allies as well so what what is it that um, the diversity gender's role is and how is it making a difference more broadly? I'm going to give that one to Helen <laughs> who's been involved much longer than I am but we'll, we can tag team on that one Troy. 
Yeah, let's let's take team on that. So, uh, the diversity agenda uh, was a joint initiative between um, Te Aurangaho, Engineering New Zealand, Te Kaohui Whaihanga, New Zealand Institute of Architects, and uh, ACE New Zealand. Um, that started in 2008, really to turn the dial on diversity inclusion within the engineering and architecture and uh, consulting professions. And uh, with three really important strands, and that really fit in quite well to the conversations we've had today, actually. So awareness, so raising awareness for um, for the issue, the why, and then the how enablement, so enabling um, enabling members of the diversity agenda to to make the change that um, within their own organisations to lift the sector as a whole. And the third part is um, action. And uh, so the programme has grown quite a bit since 2018. It's evolved from um, being creating a really great move. And I think we've done a really good job on the awareness piece in terms of um, creating a, a, a brand and a story and a why that people understand now. But I think we've got so much opportunity to go in the awareness and the enablement and the action uh, piece of the of the program. Um, and it comes back to so many of the things we've talked talk to about today, getting beyond the people who are already in the room and who are already the allies um, to taking, taking it much broader than we have at the moment. Uh, we've got an initiative under the Diversity Agenda called the Diversity Agenda Accord, which is a set of um, commitments that personal commitments that leaders of um, engineering and architecture firms sign up to to, to make change within their organisations. Uh, so... Uh, and we have about 50, 58 signatories of that now, actually. We've grown, I think, by about 15% over the last year. So um, so that's good news. Um, but we know we can do so much more with that initiative. And that's um, something that Kaiman and I have been working on um, a lot over the last year, is how do we actually take this program wider? How do we achieve more and faster how do we take the diversity agenda to its next evolution and there's some fundamental things that we've we've put in place that the program um, hasn't had to date such as a, um, an industry steering group and we're so lucky to have Kynwin um, as, the, as the chair of that group um, so that sector really has ownership of the program because previously it's been sitting within the, the the organisations that establish it. But if we actually want change, we need to give industry their ownership over that change and making it happen. And we're really excited that we're um, in the process of recruiting a, a permanent um, leader for that programme, a programme director, um, which is something we haven't had before. And I think this goes a little bit to um, and the point about how to make change is you've got to invest in it. And that's something I didn't bring up when we spoke spoke earlier on that topic but um, you know I think it's about what's great about the diversity agenda and the accord and the change program that we have now is our accord firms have have, um, have got behind this they've committed to this change they've put their money um, behind it um, and that's a really powerful really powerful thing and without commitment from without committed leadership um, without giving people the time and space to drive their programs, we won't achieve much. And I think I often hear um, people within the professions say, particularly Māori um, and women say, you know, I've got this this really busy technical day job and I'm spending all my day answering the queries around, um, 
you know, cultural queries or Māori engagement. And so I have to do my work when everybody else goes at home at night. I'm doing I'm doing two jobs. Um, so we need to take space to recognise that this there's this is this is our job. There is space for a job in advancing diversity and inclusion, and it's not on top of your everyday job. It's it's part of that, and I think it'll be really powerful when we give people the space to lead, not just across the diversity agenda program, but also within their own businesses. And I know I have traversed right from the diversity agenda to a whole different issue here, um, but uh, I so I've got to pause and let Kaimwin jump in. Yeah, and you know, Troy, I think. Um, what I mean, how am I could talk about this literally all day, all week, or you know, where we, you know, are super passionate about it, but passion isn't enough. And what we're really doing is building momentum for a movement. And it, you know, and you, you look back in time and you think, okay, well. Um, how do we build momentum around movements? Like how do we, you know, kind of get things um, really changing? You think about gay rights from, you know, like I remember taking my daughter to see um, Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, like the story of Freddie Mercury at the movies. And um, I don't know how old she was, maybe 12 at that time. And she was like, Mama, don't understand. Like why, why, people, why were people getting like arrested what was you know what was going on I said well because that was illegal you know to be a homosexual was illegal and she was just incensed you know she was like but that was just like you know that wasn't that long ago I'm like no it wasn't that long ago and I think you know how do we remain um positive and focused on momentum and change not become disenfranchised when we are still experiencing those real kind of tangible day-to-day -day moments we do need to look back and think okay how far have we come what comes next for us so if we're thinking about diversity agenda and its creation um was really kind of setting the tone for an for a professions architecture and, and engineering which are very male dominated very very white very male dominated and very kind of privileged in lots of respects you probably had someone in your family who was an engineer or you know was an architect or you know you had someone come and speak at your school that talked about you could go to university and do this if you were good at maths and science at a certain point and and off you went um but you know uh that's not enough to build the momentum. And then, you know, kind of the accord and, you know, this is probably something that um, the HERA membership can also think about, Troy, in terms of, you know, the work that you're doing in terms of engaging and activating a whole community of, of members and industry leaders is we know we've got really good actors within our ecosystem. We've got people we know who are committed to DNI. We know that they are not just committed; they're putting their money. They've got resources. Um, they look for international best practice, but they're a little bit stumped because it's like I'm doing all of these things and I can't see the movement. I can't see the shift occurring. Yet, when you're in a leadership position, sometimes you think, "Well, crap." If I'm in this position, I've got access to all this information and resources and I'm still not moving the needle in my own organisation, the uh, Accord space provides, it provides one of those safe spaces that Helen touched on previously where you've got very senior people saying, I don't understand why this isn't moving or 
have you tried this? And, you know, you're in an environment it's where you've got other leaders who are bouncing off each other and sharing resources and, and sharing their commitments. It's like, oh, my goodness, oh, God, I had no idea. And Helen, I had an example this week where it's like when your employment form says this, what you're subconsciously communicating to candidates is that. What? You know, mind blown, and that's a very micro example. And, you know, that kind of um, activation of allies in a space to build network, which creates a fabric, which, you know, sets sets really the environment for uh, for a movement to take forward because our vision is not just to um, add additional members. It's like, well, by 2025, what do we want the diversity agenda to look like? How will it contribute to the economic environmental and social um, outcomes for Astra. How do we set that tone where we don't just um, activate an environment that kind of makes us feel good? But, you know, there are real kind of reasons why this is beyond just, um, I, oh, I feel good because I've got 50-50 representation around a board table. You know what? It, it's not that you feel good is because it bloody makes a huge difference to the bottom line. And more importantly, the public value it generates for our society and our communities. Like there is no better work to be doing as far as I'm concerned. I think I'd just add to that if I, I can, Troy, you know, I think that there are some big questions as Kaiman's talked about around how we as a as a sector shift that that dial. Um, and I think I think sometimes that the, the size of the issue can cause paralysis. And so a key part of what we want to do is be able to break that down and make it really easy for um, the two-person to five-person firm, the 50-person firm, the 1,000-plus firm to realise where their opportunities are, where their gaps are and where their opportunities and realise that, you know, there are some simple things that you can do today to put in place. And some of them will, you know, firms that can't, can't afford to bring on a, a, a DNI lead within their organisation, um, you can still do these five simple things and that's going to make a massive difference. And I think that's a story that we want to be able to tell in, in the difference that we want to be able to make as well across our membership, you know, whether it's the way you think about um, you know, how you're advertising and recruiting for different different roles, um, the types of conversations that you have. We've touched along a lot of those behavioural things that you can do. Um, there's so much learning to be had there. And um, Kaiwan and I had a, had a really great learning when we went through the process to recruit for um, the programme uh, director. So we sought some input from across our um, steering committee um, around how we could make the advert more inclusive and attractive to a more diverse audience. And so, you know, one of our members coming back and saying, actually, you know, you need to think about, um, you know, we often do job ads starting, well, this is Ace New Zealand and this is what we do and this is why, and then and then we get to the who you are right down the bottom. Whereas in our Māori worldview, you put the person first, so turning that on its head, that job advert on its head. So starting with Ko Waikwe, you're a person who, so starting with the person, then the organisation and then the job. It's a simple way to invite more diverse audiences um, into the 
into the space of thinking about you as an organization to work for. And um, it's, you know, being able to provide examples like that, that, that everyone can pick up and use um, to shift the dial, I think is really going to be a really, it is a powerful part of the diversity agenda and it will be more so through the work that we're doing. Yeah, I think um, I, I actually eat up the newsletters alive, um, go, going through trawling and picking out things that we can um, add to the HERA activities. Um, what are some of the best examples, even if they're small um, ideas and easy to implement? What are some of the best examples that you've seen that, you know, have improved diversity and ending inclusion? We had some great examples of small things that came out of our Diversity Accord Summit last year. So signatories of the Diversity Accord come together every year to report on their progress. It's a peer-to-peer -peer accountability system, but also a space to share what works really well. Um, and that recruitment um, example was a good one. Some, you know, firms were offering up examples such as we interview all Māori and Pacifica students for our grad positions. Um, and and you know that's an idea that was that was just really tangible that really resonated with a lot of people in the room i think the other one we've touched on a little bit as well as terms of giving people this the space to do this within their within their day job you know not expecting people to to just layer this on at night um you know so i think that was a really effective um effective thing that firms can do that we've seen work really well I wanted to talk just really briefly about a personal um, one as well. In, in an organisation that I previously worked with, um, something that, that worked really well for me in terms of inclusivity and a sense of belonging was that everyone in my role in the organisation was paid exactly the same. And that was um, regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of um, experience. And this was a senior level role. And that was saying, you all have this, I expect all the same of you all, you all have the same job and you're all doing the same job, so we will recognise that. And it sounds, um, it, it was incredibly powerful in terms of creating a sense of equality around the table and a sense of belonging. So looking at some of those those opportunities, you know, there's so many things. And I found, I found that one a really effective um, um, intervention. Um, I think, I mean, I'm on a huge learning journey with Tereo having only um, arrived in New Zealand uh, only two years ago as a fellow Australian. Um, and some of the things that have stood out to me, um, I was fortunate to go out and uh, visit one of the um, employment hubs out at Manukau and talking about, you know, how do we foster an environment where we do have Marion Pacifica um, applicants and, you know, and I immediately kind of went, oh, we do all these things and we do this and we do this and we, you know, the spies, they say, and, you know, we're super flexible and, you know, there's no problems and blah, blah. And um, I said, yeah, that's great, but um, professional services or consulting can be really intimidating. I'm like, I'm not intimidating. Today, we're really friendly. Like, you know, it's like, well, 
look at, you know, kind of the environment that you work in, you're in CBD, you know, all those kind of things, transport options and all the rest of it. So, oh, it's okay, people work remotely. They said, yes, but what if you're in an environment where you're in, um, you might be uh, in a very large kind of uh, shared housing environment where you've not necessarily got great Wi-Fi um, and you wouldn't necessarily have a laptop um, and, you know, you might would like to apply for the job but you're going to have to dial in for a Zoom call that will use potentially all of the credit on your phone for the month and thinking about some of those socioeconomic factors. So socioeconomic, gender, ethnicity, um, and also kind of intimidation in terms of our profession. So architecture and engineering can be viewed as being very elite and therefore very, um, you know, very intimidating. And the tips that they gave back or kind of like those insights really made me recast how I thought about engaging with um, not just kind of our advertising and attraction strategies, but also to that next step around an interview process and, you know, please bring someone, you know, would you like to bring someone along, changing our interview style to be more informal rather than coming in a meeting with three kind of people in a very formal, very structured. So really thinking about um, communication styles and they were just, you know, they were really powerful stories that I was being told and I can't emphasise enough the storytelling and how that narrative um, can really make a huge difference to people rather than potentially like huge academic texts or case studies or data points or, or things like that. Um, but just constantly learning and I think we don't have all the answers and as we go along and we gather those different things and calibrating, you know, we're a small organisation but, you know, sharing that learning and I talk about that example quite a lot because I found it um really insightful and I'm always really clear now in our kind of recruitment process it's like you know if, if you know you're successful part of our commitment to people is that we will set up your home office you know like we will provide your technology we will support all those type of things because the diversity that will come through you know our investment in that is part of our my personal investment but it's our organizational investment aligns with our industry objectives it aligns with you know where we see the future as well so um yeah small but mighty hopefully for me there's two things that really come through and that there's questions somebody asked you you know the questions the power of just pausing for the question and then secondly the the question results and impact when you have curiosity. So when leaders are coming with curiosity in terms of how they respond to those questions, which when you shared that story, kind when those things, two things stood out to me, they're both so powerful and they're so important um, for, for change. Hugely. Yeah, curiosity is something I've been really thinking about lately too because I often feel like, you know, I convey a concern and, and an example is um, just recently... Um, chair of a organization that I'm part of would continually be speaking over the top of me and also not really listening and I was trying to explain need curiosity to understand my position um, all I am getting is a kind of defensiveness against my position but not a curiosity 
And I think that's something, you know, even I love that story, Carmen, because actually it's your curiosity in that situation mm -hmm. and your acknowledgement of your own privilege rather than a defensiveness that gets us moving forward. And I think that that's what is lacking a lot in the discussions is there's a real, you know, I, not a, I don't want to accept I'm privileged and I don't want to accept that your experience is something that, you know, I might be causing you to have difficulties. That seems to be something that there's an automatic pushback on um, mm -hmm. rather than, oh, okay, you know, I've, you know, something I'm doing is clearly not getting the right outcomes for you. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, and then be open to that experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, not being ashamed of, you know, not being embarrassed to ask those questions. You know, like, and I think the often... You know, sometimes you're in a setting or a group and you think, I don't really know what that means or I feel a bit icky about that but I don't know why. How do you sit with that? But also um, sitting back and thinking, you know, and part of the phrase, is that, part of the phrase that I've learnt over time is say more, you know, because then the person kind of, thinks, oh, okay, well, they, they're, they're interested in hearing to me, but you're also thinking, okay, I'm going to hear more about this person's story or part of this narrative. And, and genuinely I think women do do that better. And I know that's a, a binary statement in a non-binary world and all those things, but um, and Helen and I were part of a discussion earlier this week and um presenting some quite interesting data around engineering, um, uh, women in engineering statistics and whatnot. And it was all women on the call and we were all just like, yes, and, and what about this? And what about this? You know, it was a really different discussion to perhaps some of the forums that I would sit in where, you know, there might be kind of a, a kind of different um, different kind of demographic or mix in there where we would have been like, oh, that's because, you know, this happened and, you know, the girls don't like megatronics and, you know, but it was just all women just literally sitting there going, yeah, okay, all right, I'm going to need to, yeah, okay, could we think about, you know, it was just a different, I don't know, different energy, a vibe. It was the vibe. Yeah, I'm getting the Insta Perel vibe of the tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> I had too, um, and I was circling back to, oh, sorry, sorry, Toy, just, you know, when I was talking about when you're in meetings, when I'll, I'll be the only female in a room, and and um, when I do get that opportunity to speak, I'll try to rush it. You know, I would love someone to say, and tell me more, and you can slow down, because we actually really want to hear what you great. have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And it's funny, I think also, um, one of the things that I often get feedback on, and Troy, I think you, I think we've had this conversation as well, is being softly spoken. People say, oh, you know, you're very softly spoken. I'm like, no, I'm not, you know, and the Aussie accent comes out. But it's almost something that I think I've probably developed over time because if you're in a room with a very kind of loud voices, when you are kind of quieter or softer, people actually stop to listen to you and lean forward. 
and it's almost something I and I don't know you know whether it's not it's something that I've developed as almost a coping mechanism in some environments where it's like actually if I'm if I'm quieter you will get the floor much easier than kind of trying to you know escalate up to be heard across the the boardroom. Just quickly, and I know we're almost out of time, but um, one of the, there's this fantastic um, uh, podcast by Annabelle Crabb in Australia around Australian women in politics and called Misrepresented. And it's politician, female politicians from both sides talking about the tactics and strategies that they use to effectively describe. And one of the things that Penny Wong, one of the senators, talked about was you know, they always used to kind of comment on being in forums where they would put forward an idea and it would be ignored by the chair or whoever. And um, and so all of the women decided, regardless of whatever side of the room, would deliberately pick up on the idea and say, that was an excellent idea that Troy came up with there when she said X. And then, so, and it was almost like this game that they started to play. So the chair was almost forced to to hear those points. And I think, as allies, women can be really significant allies to other women, and not to underestimate the power that we have when we when we do activate each other when we do have other women in the room. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Helen and Kindwin today. If you'd like to connect more with them, you'll find their details in the show notes. We'd like to end on this. It is impossible to build a successful business without embracing diversity of people, of ideas, and of approach. Food for thought till we see you next time. So hit subscribe, and if you like what you heard today, please like, review, or share with any metalheads you know. Let's spread the word. If you like what you heard today, you may be interested to listen in on a few of our other podcasts. These are focused on raising the kopapa of diversity in the workplace across a range of areas, including culture, gender, disability, and more. You'll find links in the show notes.